Riding in the town are saddles that are ablazing. Time to give you a sports talk podcast that you will find amazing. A new sports talking sheriff is in town who's outstanding. My name is Wendell Wallace, not Reggie Hammond. So in a matter of 48 hours, listening to Wendell's world of sports and all of his power will devour any negative perception you have of my podcast and put you on a positive direction about it real fast. The enlightenment and excitement you'll find in my episodes will have you dancing in the streets and ceilings, getting that feeling with thoughts and opinions that will provide proper sports talk healing. When I get that groove going, I get on a rampage like Jackson, my podcast overflowing with action that will leave you rolling in stones of satisfaction. I show out like Shohei, giving insightful thoughts and opinions about what's going on in sports all day and always, like Sinatra, doing it my way. When I start talking about sports, it becomes quite clear the champ is here. Not see the but Ali, leaving sports fans hooked like a fish all over the hemisphere. I'll blow and steal your mind like Ricky Henderson stole bases back at his prime, talking about the everyday of what's happening in the world of sports. I'll cover that like I'm Deion Sanders and still represent my Georgetown Hoyas, Washington Wizards, Nationals, and Commanders. So when you start to entangle and truly define my podcast as the most unique, insightful sports podcast going, What's the word, Kurt Angle? Oh, it's true! It's damn true! Wendell's World and Sports. Download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Rip Roin and ready to go. This is Wendell Wallace. Welcome. Hello. Bonjour. Bonsoir. Konnichiwa. Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum. Namaste. What is happening? Special dedication for those who are listening to Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my podcast or watch my podcast on YouTube. If you are watching this episode, if you could do me a favor, please, I would very much appreciate it. You could go ahead with the subscribe. Go ahead and subscribe to my channel. And if you like this video, please, 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 if my name is James Brown, go ahead and like it. I would appreciate that very much. And if you're listening to this podcast, whether it be on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, whatever, if you could just do me a favor, if you could go ahead, if you could download, follow, subscribe, like, review, and most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, I would very much appreciate it. Special dedication for all those who are doing those type of things. All right, man, let me go ahead and get into what I wanted to speak about today in the world of sports. Of course, we're speaking about the NBA. Of course, we're speaking about the second round of the NBA so far. I'm recording this on a very early, just got off of work, came back from Mesquite, so I am doing this right before Game four of the Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics game. I'm going to go ahead and uh, give my thoughts and feelings about what's going down, put it on my podcast, and then go ahead and watch game four of Boston in Milwaukee tonight. And also 
go ahead and watch game four of Memphis and Golden State. So, so far, as I'm going to be speaking about what's happening between Dallas and Phoenix, four games. I'm going to be speaking about what's happening between Golden State and Memphis, three games in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to be speaking about what is going down, what is happening with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat series, which is tied now to two through four games. And, of course, I'm going to be speaking about the three games between the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to be published sometime tonight or early in the morning. So with game four in both the Eastern and Western conferences with the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, the Bucks and the Celtics, who knows what's going to be happening in terms of who's going to be winning this game with John Moran out for the Memphis Grizzlies, the way that the Grizzlies had been playing defense especially in Game 3. Can't tell you in terms of the chances that Mil- that uh, Memphis is going to have to win Game 4, especially with John Morant out in Game 4 for Boston and Celt- for uh, Boston and Milwaukee. Man, I tell you, man, there's some questions going down with the Boston Celtics. You know, they had an awesome run at the second half of the season. Jason Tatum elevated his game to be one of the premier two-way players and basketball players in the NBA. And one of the things that I said – Going into the NBA playoffs with the Celtics is the fact that, hey, look, man, you know, for the Celtics to do what they need to do, for the Celtics to win a championship, for the Celtics to be one of the premier teams, when people think about who are the elite basketball teams who can win themselves a championship or when they come to Boston, Jason Tatum this season during the regular season has proven, even in the first round against the um, Brooklyn Nets where he elevated his game even more when he outplayed both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It was a situation where, hey, look, man, with the Boston Celtics, yes, later on in the podcast, I'm going to be speaking about the others that are going to be just as valuable, just as important for the Celtics to win a championship. But can Jason Tatum elevate his game to be that franchise, all-star, all-world, generational talent that can put a team on his shoulders, that can be the leader, that can be the best player on the team? that can win himself a championship. We've already seen that in Milwaukee with Giannis and Dendekupo. We've already seen that with the uh, with, with, with others. Now we need to see if that's going to be happening with Jason Tatum. Game four tonight, after the way Tatum played in game three, is going to be a referendum on how far he has become to, 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 to warrant that type of respect, to warrant that type of adulation that he's been receiving, to warrant all the accolades of being one of the best players of the game, finishing either All-NBA or second-team All-NBA and being regarded as one of the five or six best players in the game. Tonight in Game 4 is going going to go a long way to see if Jason Tatum is going to be that guy that we need to put in the same class with a a Giannis, put in the same class with a uh, Devin Booker uh, for those who are competing in the championships? Are we going to be putting him in the class with LeBron in terms of a player who can lead their team to a championship? Are we going to put Jason Tatum in the same class of a Steph Curry who has won multiple championships? Or is Jason Tatum somewhere in that group of players such as a a Jimmy Butler, a guy who's really, really, really good? But is he the guy that's going to be able to be the best player on the team that's going to win themselves a championship? I think tonight, game four, Boston, and Milwaukee, which is going to be happening in about 45 minutes, we are going to see if Jason Tatum can be that guy. And even moving forward, because we're speaking about a series that's 2-1. Milwaukee still has to win two more games to um, win, the, win the series. But uh, tonight is going to go a long way. I mean, Jason Tatum could maybe do 6-for-17, score 15 points, and be outplayed by Giannis. Milwaukee takes a 3-1 to series lead, and then somehow, some way. 
Jason Tatum learns his lessons that the that the late great Kobe Bryant taught him, and he elevated this game and said, screw this bullshit, I'm going to go ahead and do my thing and go ahead and reunite, go ahead and reignite the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions and the passion of those who feel that Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. So he could do that in game five, six, and seven. But the likelihood of him doing that is going to be much more remote if he doesn't get it done in game four. I'm taking a look at Jason Tatum right now. Does he need to go Giannis game six of the NBA championship? Does he need to go nuclear and have a game like, uh, say, for instance, LeBron James had back in his second stint or his first uh, stint with Miami, his second playoff series or his second playoff season with the Heat game six at the Boston Garden where, or the TD house where he went absolutely nuts in a game, in a game that the Miami Heat had to win in game six? Does Jason Tatum need to be on that level? Does Jason Tatum need to put on that performance? Does Jason Tatum need to be that good? Maybe not quite that, but if Jason Tatum is not the main guy, if Jason Tatum is not the MVP, if Jason Tatum is not the starring man, the starring role, the starring lead in the story, which is Boston comes back and wins game four to even the series, then again, the questions are going to linger. Is... Is Jason Tatum closer to Steph Curry or is he closer to Jimmy Butler or a James Harden? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So those are some of the things I'm going to be watching for the Milwaukee Bucks. Boston Celtics game four are going to be played in Milwaukee. Get to the little bit more in depth about that series in just a second. But man, if you take a look so far at the three or four games that have been played through the second round of the playoffs, when you're speaking about Boston and Milwaukee, when you're speaking about the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat in the Western Conference, when you're speaking about the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, when you're speaking about the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns, and you wanted to put some, just describe how these series has been going so far. I guess some of the adjectives and some of the words I can say is, Chippy, rugged, old school, uneven, physical, intense, intriguing. Those are just some of the words, some of the adjectives I could use to describe what's going down so far in the second round of the NBA playoffs. One of the things, though, that that, that needs to stop, and look, we can sit here and we can quibble and we can argue depending upon what team you're rooting for, depending upon which team you have winning the championship, depending upon which uh, amount of how much amount of money that you put on a team to, to, to win a game. But we can quibble about how uneven and how inconsistent the refereeing has been, how very average, at the very, very gracious best, that we could be speaking about how the officiating has been so far in the second round of the NBA playoffs. But... Uh, one thing that is, it, it, it's gotten to the point now, falling upon the players, and, and, and I blame the referees because the, the, the referees are falling for this nonsense. The referees are falling for this bullshit. The referees are falling for this acting, which is the flopping that has been going on in the NBA playoffs in the second round. And the referees, after every single time there's been an inadvertent uh, uh, hit to the face or the neck or the head or somewhere where they have to go to the monitors and take a look to see if it's a flagrant one or just a common foul. I mean, come on, fellas. Come on. I mean, this, the way the second round has been played. I mean, this is, had, th- these games, when you're speaking about 
the majority of the games that have been played so far, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Philadelphia, Golden State, Memphis, Phoenix, Dallas, these games haven't been 137 to 126. These games haven't been, you know, 127 to 114 type of games. I mean, these games, when you're speaking about old school, old school, these games have been, you know, 101 to 89. These games have been 112, 106. These games have been around that range. So, yes, the style of play has been a little bit slower when you have someone like Luka Doncic who plays at such a uh, – uh, who plays at a pace that could be considered pedestrian, a, 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 a slower type of pace. When, you, when you're speaking about a teams that don't get up and run up and down the court like the Boston Celtics, like the Milwaukee Bucks, the, the only team that really relies heavily on three-point shooting with players who have the three-point shooting acumen to give you 125 points, to give you 130 points. And if you mix in the defense of the Memphis Grizzlies, the ability to give you 142 points if you're speaking about the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, if you're speaking about the Warriors of Klay Thompson and the way Draymond Green uh, facilitates open looks for Jordan Poole and easy looks for Otto Porter in Game 3 and, and, and the aggressiveness of Andrew Wiggins and, as I mentioned before, the horrific defense of the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, you're going to have Golden State maybe put up those type of numbers on a consistent basis and with the um, Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant doing the thing, being the only unstoppable player in that series between Memphis and Golden State, that the Grizzlies might have a mulchrum of a chance to keep up with them. But especially if you're speaking about the Eastern Conference, man, and you're speaking about the style of play, this is going to be a situation where it's going to be chippy, where it's going to be rugged, where it's going to be physical, where there's going to be some some, some physicality. If you're speaking about Giannis, the way that he barrels down the uh, barrels down the court through the paint to the rim. If you're speaking about the physicality that Brooke Lopez, if you're speaking about the front court trio that Mike Budenholzer will play from time to time, which would be Giannis, which would be Bobby Portis, and which would be Brooke Lopez. Yes, you're going to have some teams or you're going to have some players or you're going to have some action that's going to require sometimes an elbow might be inadvertent or a, a situation where it's going to be physical, where someone's going to be backing down, where someone's going to be using their girth, someone's going to be using their strength, someone's going to be using their length, someone's going to be using their physicality for an advantage. It doesn't mean that the defensive player should try to fool, should try to dupe, should try to manipulate the referees into bailing them out by flopping. And I've seen too many times in the Dallas series against Phoenix, I've seen this too many times, in the three games between Milwaukee and Boston, that is happening way too often, and the referees are too many times falling for it. In the situation of, oh, here we go, let me see here, uh, you know, someone was acting like he got hit in the jaw by an inadvertent elbow, let's go to the monitor to see what's going on. Come on, man, you know, we're talking about these guys, what, Giannis is really going to be a guy that's going to uh, throw an elbow on purpose, and yes, inadvertent, doesn't, uh, inadvertent is the same thing, I understand these things, but come on, man, let these guys play, let these guys go ahead, it's, it's almost like these referees are are trying to control the game as if there's just one play away from another malice at the palace situation or some all-out full uh, on-court brawl between these two teams. So they're trying to keep it as placid. They're trying to keep it as safe. They're trying to keep it as under control as possible when, hey, look, man, if someone happens to be in a situation where they're the 
they're on the receiving end of a physical play, it doesn't mean that they're going to get up and start swinging on each other. And the way the referees are, 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 are calling these flagrant ones, and the referees are going over and taking a look at the monitor, time after time after time in these playoffs, it ruins the rhythm or ruins even the attempt of these teams to try to get some rhythm to go ahead and play a basketball game. And for the fans watching at home or for the fans who are going to the arena to watch these games, come on, man, we're here to watch these guys play basketball. We're not here to watch the referees try to dictate and try to uh, uh, officiate a game because they're in fear of something horrible happening, a.k.a. a violent altercation between one of these two teams. The three fouls, three of the six fouls that were called on Chris Paul uh, yesterday was outrageously ridiculous. And again, it, 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 it wasn't a situation where that cost the Phoenix the game. Turnovers and Dallas's ability to shoot 20 make, and make 23 pointers was the reason why that the um, Dallas Mavericks won that game. And poor shooting and turnovers in game three and four and not matching the physicality, not matching the sense of urgency, not matching, matching the passion that the Dallas Mavericks had in game three and four. That was the reason why the Phoenix Suns are now tied with the Dallas Mavericks. But, man, it, it, it didn't help when you're having officiating going the way that it's going. It's a situation where Cal Anderson gets thrown out of the game or you have uh, another player who really doesn't. And, uh, Jeff Van Gundy was chirping about this also. The fact that you have Draymond Green going nuts and you have some other guys who are very uh, demonstrative when, when arguing a non-call or a call. I mean, it seemed like Luka Dantich who is an uber superstar generational great already, and he comes barreling through the, the lane, or he's backing these guys in, whether it be Cameron Payne, whether it be Mikhail Bridges, whether it be Chris Paul, whether it be uh, any one of these guys, and he's using his physicality, and he's using his strength, and he's using his size advantage in pump fakes and up and unders and manipulating to get to the rim, and he's not getting a call all of a sudden, he yells and puts his hands up with the ref, and he starts chirping to the refs. And there's only been one technical foul called on him, but yet and still Kyle Anderson gets thrown out of the game in game three against Golden State for the, some of the stuff that he did. But Dwight Powell gets a technical foul walking off the court going in the other direction because he made a statement or he made a comment to the referee. And, you know, the whole situation, well, we don't know what he said. It doesn't matter what he said unless he called him a motherfucking piece of shit asshole. I'm going to beat your ass after the game type of uh, a, a, a level of, uh, a, 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 a verbalization. I mean, come on. So it, I, I think the referees, again, they're, they're not causing the outlooks. They're not causing the, 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 uh, a team to win or lose. But they're not, they're, they're not helping the series so far uh, become what they could be in terms of the uh, pleasure of the viewer and also for the pace and the rhythm of these games. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So getting back to Milwaukee leading over Boston, the Celtics two games to one. Boston lost to Milwaukee in game three, 103-101. Giannis was a monster coming off a horrid game in game two. He finished with 42 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. Um, getting back to the calls, once again, Boston was extremely upset with the missed call at the end of the game. If you don't know, let me know. Let me tell you, Boston down by three with five seconds left to go in the game. Jalen Brown handed the ball off to Marcus Smart, who tried a three-point attempt at the three-point line. He was clearly fouled 
by Jeru Holiday, the guard for the Milwaukee Bucks, but the foul was called on the floor. A rip through instead of a three-point shot. Smart made the first free throw and then intentionally missed the second one to give Boston another chance, which, I mean, the, the miss was, was perfect. As, he, as Marcus Smart said after the game was over, it was the perfect miss. But Smart, Robert Williams III, all, all, and Al Horford couldn't put the ball in the hoop before time expired, giving the Bucks the uh, the victory. By the way, the foul that was not called on Marcus Smart, or the foul that was not called after Marcus Smart missed the second uh, free throw, I mean, that's a situation there where it's kind of like, look, man, if you wanted to call a foul on situations like that, you could. But then again, you can also call pass interference on almost all of the Hail Marys in the, in the NFL. It's just a matter of we, we, we're not going to bail you out. We're not going to do you like that unless it's so egregious that there's no way that they could um, not call the foul. And on the foul that could have been called after the missed free throw, second three, uh, free throw by Marcus Smart, it wasn't blatant enough. It wasn't horrible enough. It wasn't um, terrible enough for the referees to uh, blow a foul on this one. So, look, for Baltimore Celtic fans, they're going to sit there and say we should have won this game when the referees took it away from it. No, 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 they didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You guys had plenty of chances to put the game away. Now, hey, man, congratulations. You played like shit for most of the game. You were down by 13 points in the fourth quarter before coming back to take a 199 lead on a pair of Jalen Brown's free throws with a minute 49 left to play. But in, in the defense, the next two times, stopping Giannis and such, causing a turnover, great, fantastic, man, way to go. But you had two chances to increase the lead with under um, two minutes to go, and you could not do that. That's not the referee's fault. That's not anybody's fault but your own giving Milwaukee the opportunity to win that game to win that game and then putting yourself in an opportunity where you had to beg and plead for the referees, which have been inconsistent all throughout these playoffs, to bail you out, and they weren't going to do it. And when you had the opportunity, the opportunity not once but twice to put the game away and you had Jalen Brown and you had Marcus Smart both shooting three-pointers, and then Giannis and Jeru Holiday said thank you very much, came down and scored to uh, give Milwaukee a three-point lead. To increase the score, you give the ball and, and, and allow Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown to shoot three-point shots? I don't give a damn. Again, if we go back, I, I go back once again to Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, if you're speaking about a guy who is the best player on the team that could give the Boston Celtics a real chance to win a, to win a championship, in that situation, you give the ball to Jason Tatum and say, make something happen. Either create a shot for yourself or pass it off for another good look to Brown or somebody else. And Jason Tatum was, Jason Tatum was inconspicuous in his absence on those last two plays. Again, Milwaukee in that situation goes through Giannis. Um, Memphis in that situation goes through John Morant. Um, Golden State in that situation goes through Steph Curry. Phoenix in that situation goes through Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Dallas in that situation goes through Luka Doncic. Denver in that situation goes through Nikola Jokic, the MVP. Um, Philadelphia in that situation goes through Joel Embiid. Again, not just once, but twice to increase that lead.
Boston didn't do that. So in a situation like that, again, let me go ahead. And, and I think this is not a bash Jason Tatum podcast so far because of the work that he's done, the commitment that he made, the experiences that have led him to the level of play that he's playing at right now, being one of the best players in the NBA and so far in this playoffs, despite his Game 3 debacle, he's still been playing like one of the best players so far in these playoffs, especially when you take a look at the way Cliff Paul fell off the cliff in Games 3 and 4, especially if you take a look at some other really good players who have been playing great basketball, how they've been sort of kind of up and down during these NBA playoffs and some really great players, MVP players, all-time great players who are no longer playing in these playoffs. Yeah, Jason Tatum has been absolutely outstanding overall. I just want to see in a situation like this, the Jason Tatum that many people picked Many people predicted would be a generational great court, uh, great uh, basketball player and leader for this team. Is he going to have one of those moments to put on his career resume? So in about, oh, I don't know what the game's going to be starting in about 15, 20 minutes. We will find out. So game three, man, again, Boston had the chances to win the game. They didn't. They had a four-point lead at halftime. The Milwaukee Bucks outscored them 34-17 in the third quarter, turning that four-point lead from uh, – to Boston to a 13-point deficit by the end of the quarter. So, look, man, it's going to be a rock fight. It's going to be tough. It's going to be old school. Celtics shot 37% from the field for the game, 27% on 33 three-point attempts. Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, they combined to shoot 10 of 36 from the field, 1 of 10 from the three-point line. Ooh! If you're a Celtics fan, you're dying again. So, look, I expect Jason Tatum to do some work. And uh, while they couldn't contain Giannis because he went absolutely nuts, 13 of 21 in the paint. Outside the paint, he was 3 for 10. So, containing Giannis, trying to get trying to get in front of that train, freight train, trying to, uh, trying to stop his dips and dives and his James Worthies and his Julius Irvings and his Kevin McHales and his up and unders and his Euro steps to try to prevent him from getting to the basket is both difficult and painful. But um, still, I think um, outside of this game, I think that the Celtics have been doing a pretty good job in that regard, even though the impact of Giannis, who's playing like the best player in the, in the world right now, has been formidable if he's not, you know, Outside of game three, if he's not, you know, putting up strong numbers as far as scoring is concerned, he has been impacting the game in so many different situations. But I think in game four tonight, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a little scoring game as far as these this NBA is concerned, this generation of NBA basketball is concerned, and I expect Boston to come away with this game and to tie the series up 2-2. I, I hate to use the word must. It's a must-win situation. It's not a must-win situation for Boston because even if they're, they lose, yeah, they're down 3-1, and yeah, their chances might not be great, but you know what? As Jim Carrey said, we still got a chance. And so not until you lose four games, that's when it's a situation where, you know, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're down 3-1 or when the other team has three victories, uh, that's when it's a must win. Because if you don't win that game, then the series is over. As long as you're still playing, then you still have a chance. So this is not a must win for Boston. 
because their season will not be over if they don't win. But uh, it would be very advantageous for those guys to win to give them a better opportunity to come back and win the series. So, yeah, man, there you go. And I I thought this is a situation where you can, you know, glass half full if you're a Boston Celtics fan. You can go ahead and take a look at this and say, wait a minute, man. So you're going to try to tell me that Marcus Smart was terrible from the offensive end. Robert Williams didn't make any type of uh, imprint in the game. Jason uh, Tatum had his worst playoff game since his new um, responsibilities as an NBA basketball player, as a NBA franchise player, as an NBA superstar, as an NBA elite player. He went 4 for 19, finished 0 for 10 when Wes Matthews was guarding him. So all of this information that we have about how bad Jason Tatum was, and we still had an opportunity to win the basketball game, we still with under two minutes, had the chance to go on the road against the defending champions in the Milwaukee Bucks and win a basketball game? Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that any day of the week. Whether Jason Tatum is one for 50 in a situation like that, again, it should be a situation with that Mamba mentality where Jason Tatum graduated from Kobe University in terms of, hey, man, it don't matter what your shooting was before this moment. The moment is now time for you to take it over. I think Tatum, regardless of how he plays tonight through three and a half quarters, if the situation rears itself again in terms of they need a bucket to increase the lead, get back in the game, whatever, Jason Tatum is going to be there to respond. I think that Jason Tatum is a franchise player. He might not be at the level of Giannis. Nobody is. He might not be at the level of Embiid. He might not be. He might be. I don't know. I'm not Jokic. I don't know. But I think Jason Tatum is going to be that guy. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, let me go ahead and start talking about the Philadelphia 76ers coming back and beating the Miami Heat in Game 2. James Harden coming back. I I, I don't know if, if it was vintage James Harden. I think a game like he had in Game 4 is going to be the type of game that he's going to have to have in terms of his career with the Philadelphia 76ers moving forward. The type of impact or the type of flavor or the type of uh, artistry that James Harden had when he would put on a, a Picasso, when he would put on a master, master class, a masterpiece on the basketball court and in terms of being an impactful player. And we haven't seen it too many times, if any in his career as a playoff performer, wasn't as devastating, wasn't as brilliant, wasn't as, oh, I don't know, um, destructive from a scoring point of view. But I think his overall game in game four on Sunday was brilliant. Can James Harden repeat that? The way that he got it done mainly with the three-point shot. I think his facilitating was was awesome. I think this is the James Harden that we're going to have to see, a more well-rounded game from James Harden. We're looking for the James Harden who would come in, and we're hoping him to score 43 points and get five or six rebounds and maybe seven or eight assists or something like that and go to the foul line 16, 17, 18 times. I think that James Harden is no longer – that James Harden is no longer in him. I don't think James Harden. James Harden might be the old James Harden for a quarter, uh, maybe for a few possessions. Um, But the James Harden that we knew in Houston that could go ahead and give us something like that, which the the stat line and the numbers that I just mentioned, I think that James Harden is gone. But he could still be a highly impactful, highly um, 
a player, a, a player who responsibility is great in terms of a team winning a, uh, winning a championship, which he did for Philadelphia. Joel Embiid was was fabulous last night, but uh, guess what? Unlike James, unlike Game Three, where Tyrese Maxey was awesome, where Danny Green shooting wise was awesome, where Tobias Harris was a solid, and the contributions of Joel Embiid, even though he wasn't 100%, and he said it after himself, there was so much more he could have done. Embiid improved in game four, but it was a situation where they needed James Harden to be this James Harden, and James Harden delivered. So I think to see James Harden play like this on a consistent basis, I don't think it's going to happen. But when you're speaking about best two out of three, Woo, if James Harden can give us anything close to what he did on Sunday, and as I mentioned before, it, it doesn't have to be about making an imprint or making a devastating difference as far as putting the ball into hoop for big numbers. But what he can do, if he can make that step back three, if he can get to the rim, if he can put some pressure on Bam out of Bayou and others with around the front court of the Miami Heat, if he can make Tyler Hero work on defense to take away from his offense, if he can have a situation where then Jimmy Butler is going to have to go over and uh, guard him, which is going to take away some of the potency of Butler on offense, even though Butler put in a um, put in a devastating performance uh, on Sunday with what forty points and, and on, on, on excellent shooting, the only player for Miami to uh, keep them in the game. But this is a situation where look, we're going to have to be looking towards James Harden one more game, one more game, and we can hope and pray that Joel Embiid in one of these other games, becomes a monster that Tyrese Maxey can um, be that guy to step up and be, you know what, I could be a number two guy on a team that could win a championship and continue to have Danny Green take the shooting that he provided at, uh, at home and take it on the road for either game five or game seven. Tobias Harris keep at the level that he's keeping at now. And somebody on that Philadelphia 76ers bench, which is short by nature, because Doc River doesn't trust all those guys. Which one of those guys is going to come in and doesn't have to be great for an entire game, whether it be game five, six, or seven. He doesn't have to be great for uh, a long period of time. But there could be a six-minute stretch in the fourth quarter where James Harden is resting or a situation where Tyrese Maxey is in foul trouble or Joel Embiid is in foul trouble. Some of the others on that Philadelphia 76ers team is going to have to be impactful for the two or three minutes that they need, whether it be making a big shot, whether it be taking a charge, whether it be just steadying the boat, just making sure that the boat doesn't go underwater until Harden, until Maxi, until Embiid can get back on the court and do his thing. Somebody for the Philadelphia 76ers in game five, six, or seven are going to have to do that. And if you're the Miami Heat, I think tomorrow that the Heat are going to go ahead and uh, do a number on the 76ers. I think Hero, who didn't shoot well in Philadelphia game three and four, I think that he's going to have a big game in game five. I think Butler is going to continue his play, not at the level that he had in game four, but I think he's going to be impactful. I think Bam has finally found his stride. And after a little, after some shaky games, after coming off of COVID, I think that now he's back into the groove again. And he's going to give you the ability to do the 20 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, and play some impressive defense type of deal. I think Victor Oladipo in spots have been has been very good for the Miami Heat. He's played much better at home for Miami in this series than he did in games 3 and 4. So I expect him to uh, elevate his game. 
And for Philadelphia, for game five, I don't think that Danny Green is going to shoot as well as he did. I don't think that um, James Harden is going to play as well as he did in game five. And I think this is going to be a situation tomorrow where Miami takes a three to two series lead. Then we go back to Philadelphia and we go ahead and see what happens. But six or seven games in this series, that's what I'm predicting. I think that either the Philadelphia 76ers are going to have a real chance to win in seven games or without question, the Miami Heat are going to win in six games. So not only game five is important for the Heat and the Sixers, more importantly, game six is going to be a barn burner, most definitely. Even if Philadelphia pulls off the upset in game five, I still think in a situation like this that Miami has the toughness, Miami has the coaching, Miami has the experience, Miami has the grit to go back and win a game six and take it back to game seven more than, say, if the Heat uh, perform well. We don't know the situation with Kyle Lowry, but if the Heat can come back, perform well, win game five, I don't think the chances are as outstanding for the Philadelphia 76ers to win game six and then bring it back to a Game 7. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Western Conference Series, Golden State wins Game 3 in impressive fashion, as I mentioned before, 142-112, to 112, outscoring the Grizzlies in the second half, 78-55, leading by 7 at halftime. They said, okay, time to put this into a level, another level, and the Memphis Grizzlies were still thinking that they were playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. They shot, speaking of Golden State, the Warriors shot, 63% from the field, 76% true shooting percentage, the second best in both categories in NBA postseason history. Steph Curry had 30 points despite going 2 of 8 from the three-point line. He made 7 of 14 two-point shots, and he was a perfect 14 from 14 from the free throw line. So while still looking for that explosion from the three-point line, uh, Curry all around had an excellent game. Clay Thompson finally getting off the schneid at 21 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 4 of 6 from the three-point line heading into game three. Thompson was shooting just about 29% from the floor, including 5 of 22 from the series. Nothing like it, some good home cooking to go out there. His shot was pure. The running three-point shot kind of left of the top of the key extended was a thing of beauty. And it looked so effortly. It looked so easily. And you could tell with that shot being put up, with no angst, with no um, with no sense of uh, panic, with no sense of difficulty in terms of what the shot really should have been if you break it down. The way that he shot it with such ease, the way he shot it in such rhythm, it was a situation where, yeah, Clay's feeling it tonight. And uh, he was uh, he was outstanding. It, it, it's Clay, Clay has been a, Clay has been a, a player that, uh, you know, coming off of over two years of devastating injuries that um, – you know, it's a, it's a situation where the Clay Thompson that was probably one of the best 75 players who's ever played the game of basketball, that player's not coming back. Or that player's not going to be coming back on any type of consistency. We might see that Clay Thompson for a game. We might see that Clay Thompson for a half. But to expect Clay Thompson to be that splash brother who was part of that dynasty on a consistent basis – before those injuries, and I know you take a look at the age of Clay Thompson. If he's not 30, he's somewhere a little bit close to 30. That 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 that, that Clay Thompson is not going to come back to form the greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history. 
especially when you're speaking about now the age of Stephen Curry. Those days are gone, but those two together can still be potent. Those two together can still win themselves a championship, and those two together, surrounded by the talent that they have, can still win themselves a championship, but it's going to have to take Clay Thompson to have more games like this for them to win a series and to win a championship because Clay can't go 29% and say that's cool because Jordan Poole, as much of an improvement that Jordan Poole has made, as much as Jordan Poole has captivated or has, has uh, vaulted himself into being a player of real substance in turn of Golden State winning themselves the championship, as much as the improvement to that stature that Jordan Poole has been, you're still going to need Clay Thompson, maybe not the Clay of the Splash Brothers era, or maybe not even the Clay Thompson of last night, where again, 8 of 13 from the field, 4 of 6 from the three point line. But you're going to need Clay Thompson somewhere close to that on a consistent basis if the Golden State Warriors are going to be looking to move on, not past the Memphis Grizzlies, but get past either the Dallas Mavericks or the Phoenix Suns, and then ultimately put themselves in a strong position to win themselves an NBA championship. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The other four Warriors scoring in double figures, had great all-around games. Jordan Poole again, 27 points on 7 of 11 shooting, a plus 33. When you take a look at plus-minus, Otto Porter Jr. from Georgetown University, baby, 13 points, 5 of 7 shooting, had a plus 30. Andrew Wiggins, 18 points on 7 of 10 shooting. Again, if you're Memphis, and if you're Clay Jenkins, do you have to remind these guys that, fellas, we are, now, we are no longer playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. We are playing a team with championship experience. We're playing a team with a high basketball IQ. We are playing a team that are at another level, both on the mental, the physical, offensively, defensively. Everything is now heightened. When you're speaking about now playing the Golden State Warriors and not the Minnesota Timberwolves, you can take a look at me and say, well, yeah, duh. Of course they're not playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're playing the Golden State Warriors. War it, well, it sure looked like they thought that the Golden State Warriors were the Minnesota Timberwolves if Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson were stating over and over and over and over again as Jordan Poole was going down the lane for dunks, as Andrew Wiggins was attacking the uh, t- the basket with uh, a plume, while Otto Porter was, make, was getting easy shots, while Steph Curry was doing anything that he wanted from the two-point line. It was a situation where, again, the way that the Memphis Grizzlies are playing basketball or the way the Memphis Grizzlies are playing defense that, uh, hey, man, you got to do a little bit better than this. If you expect to win and expect to move on and expect to back up all that swag that you had, you got to do better than this because that wasn't cutting it. It might work against Minnesota. It might work against New Orleans. It might work against Brooklyn. It won't even work against Brooklyn. It might work against some of the teams that were bounced. It might work against the Utah Jazz. But when you're playing a team like the Golden State Warriors of that level and of those expectations and of that experience, nah, man, you got to up your game. You got to get much, much better. And now for game four, John Morant is going to be out. Um, Grizzlies head coach Taylor Jenkins said that it's unlikely that Morant is going to uh, be ready. Um, the Grizzlies believe the injury was caused by a play in which Jordan Poole grabbed Morant's knee while going for a basketball on the trap near half court in the third quarter of game four. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's kind of hard for me to deduce which players are really trying to hurt somebody. 
You know, you, you, it, devastating injuries happen in all sports, not because of a player trying to go after somebody. I mean, the Golden State Warriors were yelling and screaming when Steph got injured after Marcus Smart fell on his ankle back in the day, which, uh, 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 you know, uh, in, in this season, which caused Steph to miss some times. They were claiming it was dirty and it was horrible. No, it was Marcus Smart doing what he was doing hustling, trying to go for a loose ball, and I don't think that he saw Steph Curry's ankle there and said, ooh, there's a good idea. Let me go ahead and fall on it so he can be out for a couple of weeks. It's just basketball. It's just people playing. I don't think Jordan Poole saw the kneecap uh, or the left kneecap of John Morant and said, ooh, let me go ahead and see what I can do to get him, in him injured so he can miss a couple of games. Don't think that was the case. Now, Memphis went 20-5 this season without Morant. Um, he missed nine straight games in March and April because of right knee soreness during the regular season. But this is a whole different animal when you're speaking about playing Golden State. And for Morant, he's been the most unstoppable player in this series. In fact, outside of maybe Luka or maybe right up there with Luka and Giannis, these superstars that Morant has been on the same level with in terms of unstoppable, I mean, those four guys, Luka, Morant, and Giannis, three guys, excuse me, They've been the most unstoppable players so far in these playoffs, first and second round. And uh, in game two, the game that Memphis won, Morant, 47 points, 15 of 31 from the field, averaging 38 points per game, shooting over 50% on a high uh, volume level as far as shooting is concerned. They're going to miss him, of course. But uh, 20 of 5 don't mean nothing when you're playing the Golden State Warriors. So it's going to be a situation where Jaron Jackson Jr., if you can please stand up, please stand up and take your level of play maybe two or three levels up would be appreciated because after scoring 33 points in game one, he's done absolutely nothing. Three, game one, 33 points, 10 rebounds, and a bunch of uh, really impressive three-point shots. After that, he's averaging 13.5 points per game, shooting 26% from the field and averaging only 5.5 rebounds per game. Jaron Jackson Jr. is supposed to be that guy with John Morant who's supposed to be elevating the Memphis Grizzlies to a team that in a few years will be true, real favorites to win themselves an NBA championship. Right now, Memphis is going through the learning stage. Right now, Memphis is going through the stage and people can sit there and talk about with their swag, with their talent, with their confidence, with their, I don't know, maybe you could even say ignorance in terms of what they're supposed to be doing that, wait a minute, you guys aren't supposed to be playing this well. You guys aren't supposed to be pushing teams. You guys aren't supposed to be expected to win championships at the level that you're at as far as playoff experience-wise. These guys don't know any better. These guys don't know that. These guys are stupid enough. These guys are dumb enough. These guys are brash enough. These guys are bold enough. These guys are swaggy enough to sit there and say, fuck that bullshit in terms of we have to wait and we have to learn and we have to grow and we have to go through experiences in the playoffs. Fuck that bullshit, man. We're going ahead and we're going to um, win the championship. We're going to go ahead and we truly, honestly feel that we're better than anybody else. Ignorance can be bliss. Well, in this situation... Dylan Brooks, De uh, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Zaire Williams, Slow Mo, Kyle Anthony. Man, you've you got to do something. And Jaron Jackson Jr., JJJ, he's got to be dynamite if the Memphis Grizzlies are going to survive and back up that swag and back off that blissful ignorance to say that, no, this is a situation where we're not learning. This is not something that we're using. We're not using the series to... Um, to, 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 uh, to, to help us grow, you know, to develop a championship pedigree. We're, we're not using this as a, as a classroom in terms of how to get to a championship and the teacher 
are the Golden State Warriors. We're not doing that bullshit. We are look. We are looking here to win the whole doggone thing. Well, if you're truly about doing that, then Jaron Jackson has to be that guy. Jaron Jackson has to be the man that's going to step up in game four, five, and six and uh, be the man for the Memphis Grizzlies. Not be the Jason Tatum man. Not be the Giannis and the Kupo man. Not being that type of player where he's going to go out and score 45 and grab 17 rebounds and this, that, and the other. No, not, he, he ain't there just, that, uh, just yet. But he's got to be better than 13, 26% shooting and five rebounds per game. He's got to be much, much better than that. So, yeah, man, in the playoffs so far, it's been rough. It's been rugged. It's been tense. It's been uh, a situation where it's been pretty basketball. It's been frustrating basketball. It's been confusing basketball. It's been flopping basketball. It's been all those things. But uh, we move on. The series are moving on. I haven't even spoken about Dallas yet. I haven't even spoken about Phoenix yet. I haven't even spoken about some of those other situations that I want to get into. Shall we get into? We're going to get into them. Uh, We're going to get into them in just a second. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program. Didn't even get a chance. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to be speaking about Dimitri Bivol getting um, Canelo Alvarez because I didn't see the fight. I, I, I told, I'm not going to be speaking about something that I didn't see despite me reading and catching up and doing all these things. Um, just go to show you, man, that... Um, Canelo was the big, best 168-pounder in the uh, world. And, uh, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. I would go ahead, take that easy payday against Triple G, uh, beat him senseless, and then just move on from there. There's plenty of folks at 160. There's plenty of folks at 168 that he can fight. But, uh, man, you, you leave those big boys alone. Now, he's going to go ahead and he's going to, uh, um, you know, exercise his claws in this contract for that rematch. It'll be a nice... Really nice payday for Bevel. I mean, he already got one, so he's going to win the lottery not once, but twice. First time, it's like he won the lottery. Second time now fighting Canelo, especially after the clinic, the boxing clinic, the one-sidedness of that decisive decision that Bevel had against Canelo, that not only is he going to uh, win Mega Bucks, it's going to be Mega Bucks, Powerball, and anything else now with the second fight coming for uh, coming towards, uh, I guess, September. That Canelo, Canelo fights every Cinco de Mayo in September. So he's going to try to go ahead and get that stuff done. And if you're Bivol, it's like, yo, I'll beat you up again. No, no big deal. 
I mean, I'll, I'll go through that again because I know the payday is going to be massive. But uh, speaking of massive, hey man, leave them, Canelo, leave them big boys alone. Joe Smith, Bevo, all those guys. Yeah, you beat her over the hill, past his prime on his last leg, Sergey Kovalev at one, uh, 175. Great. Wonderful. That was a nice little setup. But please, don't think that because you beat him. And by the way, that fight was extremely close. And if you take a look at the, I'll get back to basketball in just a second. Let me go ahead and uh, appease Armando Vasquez real quick. If, if we could even get back to speaking about Canelo Alvarez in the big fights. And, and, and look, Canelo, pound for pound, the king. Canelo, even with this defeat against Bivol, I know people are going to be yelling about Terrence Crawford. I know people are going to be talking about Errol Spence. I know people are going to be doing all those things. Despite the loss, and I know people might be talking about Tyson Fury, I don't care. Despite the loss, I still think the best pound-for-pound boxer in the game right now is Canelo Alvarez. Because how many boxers out there would have stepped up and taken that challenge? Hell, we can't get Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence in the ring. And you expect me then to elevate Terrence Crawford, Bud Crawford, above Canelo Alvarez because he took on a monumentous challenge in fighting one of the best light heavyweights in his prime? In Bivol? No. Canelo Alvarez is still the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, no doubt. But if you take a look at the fights, if you take a look at some of his tougher fights, if you take a look at some of his big fights, and I'm not even talking about when he was a 23-year-old, what behind the ears, had no business being in with a guy like Floyd Mayweather type of fighter back in the day where he had his first loss up till the fight on Saturday. But if you take a look at his fight against Triple G, the two fights, if you take a look at his fights against Daniel Jacobs, if you take a look at this fight, even against a washed-up Sergey Kovalev, those were close fights. So the fights that Canelo has had, he hasn't been the best fights or the best competition that he has had. He hasn't been devastating. I'm still looking for Canelo, the best pound-per-pound fighter on the planet right now, but I'm still looking for Canelo to have that signature ooh knockout. I'm still looking for him to have that Joe Lewis knocking out Max Schmeling in round one type of fight. I'm still looking for um, Canelo Alvarez to have that Rocky Marciano September 13, 1951, round 13, knocking out Jersey Joe Walcott with one punch. I'm still looking for uh, a situation where... um, you know, uh, a, a situation where um, an, uh, Muhammad Ali versus uh, George Foreman type of situation. I'm still looking for Canelo to have that Evander Holyfield beating Mike Tyson when no one said that he could. I'm still looking for Canelo to give us that type of performance. I'm still looking for Canelo to give me the Julio Cesar Chavez stopping Meldrick Taylor with two seconds left in round 12 because Richard Steele was down with Don King, was trying to protect his fighter. I'm still looking for that. I'm still looking for that signature fight, that signature win, that remarkable win from Canelo, that that fight that's going to have, that's going to go down as, as memorable. Because if he wants to be up there with the Salvador Sanchez's, if he wants to be up there with the Julio Cesar Chavez, if he wants to be up there with the um, Marco Antonio Barolas, if he, if he wants to be up there with those type of guys, if he wants to be in that group, if he wants to be with the Marquez's, and speaking of 
you know, highlight signature, memorable Hall of Fame type of moments when Juan Mikel Marquez knocked out uh, Mar- knocked out Manny Pacquiao with one punch. If Canelo wants to get on that level to be seriously regarded as one of the best Mexican fighters of all time, and we know how high that bar is with Julio Cesar Chavez, if he wants to get close to that, then he's going to have to do as far as, man, maybe he should fight Bevo. If he could knock him out, then we're going to be speaking about getting him closer. Right now, if you want to compare it, JCC, Julio Cesar Chavez, is MJ. Canelo is LeBron. The haters and everybody else, this is a situation just like LeBron. If he could win some more championships to get closer to the resume so we can have even a stronger argument to say who's the better basketball player between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. He's going to have to win a couple of more championships for the discussion of Canelo being truly regarded as one of the best Mexican fighters of all time, which the which the GOAT of that category is Julio Cesar Chavez, then he's going to have to uh, knock out Demetrius Bivol. And for those who are yelling about uh, Salvador Sanchez, sorry, you need to learn how to drive a little bit better because he was on his way, but he decided at 23 years old to drive like a maniac and kill himself. So, uh, you know, unfortunately that was um, great uh, legendary potential lost. But uh, so that's the reason why I'm saying that I can't put Sanchez in that same realm as JCC, but, you know. Wow, I went on longer with that. I went on longer with that than I wanted to. But uh, there you go. That that was for a special dedication going out for Armando Vasquez. Another boxing lesson given to him by Mr. Wallace, Professor Wallace. Uh, don't worry, the check is in the mail. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, real quickly, let's go ahead and get back to the uh, series with the uh, Mavericks and the um, Phoenix Suns after winning two games in impressive fashion at home. Dallas said, fuck this, man. We are tired of getting blown out. The hunt for Luka, it just abused him and then used him on defense. Jason Kidd said, hey, man, sorry, your mama, daddy, and, uh, you know, your mommy and daddy on the uh, on the um, Dallas Mavericks, known as Reggie Bullock and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, can't save you. You're going to have to go up there, you know, grab a pair and uh, start playing some defense. And we're going to need you. We're going to need you, Luca. We need you to be a little bit more nasty. We need you to have a little bit more swag. Luca's got the swag, but we need you to be even swaggier. You know, even swaggier than Swaggy P, baby. I mean, we need to go out there, and you need to let Phoenix know that, man, you ain't no bitch. And you're going to go out there, you're going to give them hell. And you're going to smirk, and you're going to smile, and you're going to let them know that, you know what, I'm out here Mamba mentality to rip your heart out. Whether that be scoring, whether that be setting up others, you have to realize, Luca, you are the best player on that court. There ain't nobody on that team that can guard you, even have a chance to guard you. Mikael Bridges, the one of the candidates for defensive player of the year, he can't guard you. Chris Paul, a very tough defender, but he can't guard you. When you switch off and you get a DeAndre Ayton, when you get a Bismarck Biombo, when you get a JaVale McGee, come on, man, you need to be eating them for lunch, dinner, breakfast, and after you know, and, and dessert and snacking time after time. And that doesn't always mean as far as having the impactful moments for your team. That doesn't mean going out and scoring 50. It means going out in devastating fashion and making sure Fetty Smith goes 8 of 12 from the three-point line because he's getting nothing but wide-open looks. It means um, Maxi Klebel is going to be going out and making three-pointers because he's getting wide-open looks. It means giving 
Jalen Brunson the space to move and to operate because so many people on Phoenix are going to be concerned about what you're doing. It means that even someone like Adavis Bertans is going to be able to go out and go four for four at one stretch in game four because they're so because Phoenix is concentrating on you so much and because of your playmaking, because of your genius on the basketball court, and because of the impact that you have, you're going to be able to give a shooter, and that's all he is, is a shooter like Davis Bertans, the opportunity to go four for four. So it was a situation where I I think that uh, Dallas played with urgency. Dallas played with passion. Dallas played with toughness. Dallas played with anger. Dallas played with an edge that uh, I don't think Phoenix was really expecting. Going back home, you would think that the others for Dallas, the Dorian Finney-Smith, the Reggie Bullocks, the Spencer Dinwiddies, the um, Matthew Klebas, the Jalen Brunsons, that they would do better on home court than they would on the road. But uh, when you go ahead and you shoot 45% on 44 three-point attempts for the game, hey, man, you know, when, when, when Luka and Jalen can have off-night shooting Combining to go 16 of 42, which is 38%, 2 of 13 for the three-point line. But yet we're a combined 30 plus minus with 15 assists and 11 rebounds between them. Hey, man, that means that, you know what, you don't have to. Not everything is measured in how many points that you score. Especially if you're speaking about the usage rate of Luka to where not only is he responsible for scoring, but he's also responsible for basically getting others who can't get their shots off by going one-on-one on a consistent basis to give them looks, to put them in their comfort zone, to put them in positions where they can be successful. And it was a situation where, hey, look, man, time after time in game four, Dallas made the big plays and runs where they needed to. Just when you thought, especially in that third quarter in game four, despite the ineffectiveness, the lousy play of Chris Paul, both in game three and game four, just when you would think Phoenix was starting to figure it out, just when you thought that Phoenix was going to make that run because that's what conference champions do, it was a situation where Dallas, Dallas said no. Game four, up by 12 at halftime. Phoenix went on the 7-0 run to cut it to 68-63 with 8.30 left to go in the third quarter. You're thinking, okay, here we go. What happened? Dallas won on a 7-0 run to maintain an 8 or 11-point lead for most of the quarter. Phoenix cut the lead to 82-77 with a minute 17 left to go in the third quarter. And you're thinking, okay, the way that Phoenix is playing, the way that they're turning the ball over, the way they're not shooting as well as they could be, this is going to be a situation where they're going to turn it up and they're going to impose their will and they're going to find a way to win this game. What happened at 82-77? Jalen Brunson makes a 10-foot left side fadeaway shot under pressure with the shot clock winding down, which was kind of like, you've got to be Fucking kidding me. And then Frank Milikina makes a three-point shot to put them up by nine by the end of the quarter. Momentum halted. Momentum shifted back to the Dallas Mavericks. And just like Steph, just like uh, other great scorers in this league, despite the fact that Luka wasn't playing well, you knew that sooner or later that he was going to get it going. So even though he wasn't shooting well, even though he was 1-10 from the three-point line, you knew that just like Steph, you have to guard Luka with the same type of intensity and the same type of urgency as if he was just, you know, playing at another level or playing on another planet in terms of uh, his effectiveness because it only takes one moment. It only takes one shot. Steph can go 0 for 100. 
But if he hits the 101st, you're like, oh, shit, this guy could go off now for 10 in a row and just bury us, bury our heart, bury our soul, bury our franchise, bury our city, bury our women, bury our children. We need to do something. I don't care if he is 0 for 100. Same thing with Luca. Luca might be missing shots and this, that, and the other, but the first three-point step-back 25-footer from the left side that Luca hits or straight away that Luca hits, you're like, oh, shit, here we go. So Luca is always going to have that type of impact on a game, and, you know, it was, uh, it was something to see. Chris Paul failing out after playing only 23 minutes, being ineffective. Um, you know, Devin Booker scored 35 points. It's a situ- situation where, hey, man, it was just a bad game for Chris Paul. I don't think that he ever got comfortable. I think the foul trouble in game four hampered him. I think that the level of intensity in game three surprised him. And uh, I think this is a situation. Look, man, if you're, if you're Phoenix, you say to yourself, okay, very few teams in the NBA have rip-roared it through the NBA playoffs to win themselves a championship. And it, as, as, as great as the Phoenix Suns had been this season, winning, what, 64, 65 games? This ain't the 1982-83 fo-fo-fo Philadelphia 76ers of Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, Dr. J, Bobby Jones, Andrew Tony, and Clem Johnson. This isn't one of those teams. This isn't the 1985-86 Celtics of Larry at his prime, Kevin McHale at his prime, Dennis Johnson at his prime, Danny Ainge, Bill Walton giving one last hurrah as, bo- as being an impactful player. They're the really the true last all-white <laughs> team to win themselves an NBA championship. I mean, this is not a situation like, you know, some of the Kobe Laker, Kobe Shaq Lakers, where they steamrolled and went through the playoffs, where they uh, beat the, Phil- beat the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo from Georgetown University, beat them in five games after beating the living shit out of the San Antonio Spurs, who had the best record that season, and just blowing them off the court when Derek Fisher, I think, for the three-point line in game three and four at the Staples Center went, I don't know, like 88 for 89 or some shit like that. I mean, very few teams are that dominant. This, As good as the Phoenix Suns are, this ain't the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and and um, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, David West at their top of their powers. So this is all a learning situation still for the Phoenix Suns in terms of learning how to win that championship. They got close last season, losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. But hey, man, the NBA playoffs, whether you're losing in the first round or you're winning a championship, the farther you go, the more challenges you have, the more exciting the book reads because you're going to face some obstacles. You're going to face some adversity. You're going to face some doubts. It happened to the Milwaukee Bucks. How many times last uh, playoff series or last season in the playoffs, how many times did we count the Milwaukee Bucks out? How many times did we have doubts about Milwaukee winning themselves a championship? It happens. It happens. That's what makes winning the LOB so sweet. The fact that you can go ahead and you can overcome these obstacles. You can overcome the doubts from those outside of your, of your cocoon, of your team, of your family, of your basketball family, and prevail. Hey, man, that's what makes it so great. That's what makes it so awesome. So it's so much sweeter when that happens and you do win the championship. So can Dallas win this uh, championship? Absolutely. I'm not, excuse me. Can Dallas win this series? Most definitely. I think that the... Um, I think the Phoenix Suns are a better team, but 
Um, Dallas with Luca, man, you never know. You never know. And we're speaking about, you know, going through the process or going through the stages or having the experiences of winning a championship when we mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, could it be a situation where Dallas jumps from one thing, skips a couple of spots and moves to another in terms of being true championship contenders? Man, with Luka, you never know. <laughs> you put that guy in the seventh game, you put that guy in a, in a one-game situation, you put that guy even in the series. I mean, he's shown against the Los Angeles Clippers, man, that uh, you know he can, he can take over a series for not just a quarter, not just a half, not even just a game. We can do it for a multitude of games. And whether you're Golden State, whether you're Memphis, I think the winner of Boston and Milwaukee is going to be the front runner to make it to the NBA championship over the winner of the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. Any of those teams I just named moving forward, can any of them stay with Luka? Can Jimmy Butler hang with Luka? Can um, Tobias Harris, Danny Green stay with Luka? Can Giannis, Bobby Portis stay with Luka? Can Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, can they stay with Luka? Can Draymond Green stay with Luka for an entire series if he gets going, if, if he starts rip-roaring? Um. <laughs> I don't want to, I mean, of course I don't want to see Phoenix, but uh, the alternative, seeing Luka in Dallas, that's uh, that's also not uh, something that I want to see. So there you go. All right, the game is about to start. Yes, it is. And I got to wake up at 4.45 in the fucking morning tomorrow to drive 85 miles so I can go ahead and teach some kids what life is all about. So I am going to uh, end this podcast as always when I do end this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really much appreciate it. And always, if you could just do us a favor, if the younger generation, if we, the older generation, can do the younger generation and the society a favor and go ahead. And let's just see what we can do about teaching the younger folks about true love of those who have love in their hearts and for those who are looking to be good people and for those who are not going to be judging people based on the color of their skin, their gender, their political affiliation, what side of the track that they're from financially, what part of the globe that they're from, um, what religious, what religion they follow, if they follow a religion at all, who do they love, all those type of things. If we could just, if we could just, because it's too late for my generation, your generation, it's too late for us to really have that utopian society where truly, truly people are based on um, their humanity and what's in their heart, their love and the passion for others and such. Way past that. We're too ignorant. We're too racist. We're too self-centered. We're too um, selfish. We're too privileged, me included, to have the society that, that we should be wanting to live in. But if we could do that for our kids so they could pass that down. So in the year 2042, when that new generation is in the history classes and they talk about what's happening uh, in history and they go to 2020 and they go to 2021 in the year 2018 and 19 and they speak about police brutality and they speak about discrimination. They speak about the viruses and how the Asian community was blamed for that erroneously. If we could 
speak about those things, and we can speak about the mistreatment of Hispanics and blacks and gays and Asians and lesbians and such. And we could go ahead and do those things, the Muslims and stuff, and we could go ahead and teach our children how ignorant and how wrong and how stupid that is and have them teach it to their, their children so that stuff cannot exist in 20, 40, 60, 80 years when this generation will no longer be patrolling the earth, thank goodness, if we even have an earth to uh, patrol, then it would be, it will be fantastic. Wendell's World of Sports, this has been Wendell's World of Sports, your host Wendell Wallace, thank you so much, love, peace, stay the way you are, and uh, make sure that you give everybody the attention, love, and effect, and respect that they, they deserve. Music. Thank you.